Greetings, and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast, presented by The Ring and Ring TV. My guest on this episode is 2019 International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee, Mr. James Buddy McGirt, one of the top trainers in the business today. We had a chance to discuss his induction into the Hall of Fame and his most recent victory with the light heavyweight champion Sergey Kovalev. We also discussed his Hall of Fame fighting career, including his great fights with Frankie Warren, Saul Mamby, Meldrick Taylor, Howard Davis, Simon Brown, and the great Brunel Whitaker. We also discussed his relationship with his managers, Al Cerdo and Stuart Weiner, and the allegations of mafia influence. Uh, also went into his struggles uh, finding a footing uh, after his retirement from the ring and his move into training and training fighters such as Arturo Gatti, Antonio Tarver, and Vernon Forrest. It was a great, great conversation. Really enjoyed it, and I really hope you do too. I would like to welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast one of my favorite people in the business, um, recent Hall of Fame inductee, Mr. Uh, James Buddy McGirt. How you doing, buddy? Good, Kurt. How you been, babe? Excellent. Excellent, 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 man. Listen, I, I was so psyched when I saw that uh, that you've been inducted, man. Uh, you're boxing royalty now, man. You're you're immortal. <laughs> How's it feel to be a Hall of Famer, man? It feels great, man. You know, um, to be put in the Hall of Fame with the greats of the business, you know? It, I mean, it's something that you got to work hard to get. Like, you work hard to get the championship, but most importantly, to be appreciated by the fans and, you know, and to help me get inducted means more than anything. Absolutely. Well, you're much, much, much deserved, and and believe me, I've I've, I've you know definitely got a got to. I mean, you've got so many, I mean, dude. You got so many great stories. I mean, I, I hope you know. I'm going to try and keep this under two hours, <laughs> but uh, I want to I want to get. Uh, I definitely want to get to to your career because there's just so many uh, great fights and great stories. But uh, you know, besides being inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, you've been in the news for uh, helping to revive uh, Sergey Kovalev's career and, and guiding him to the win in his rematch with the uh, leader Alvarez on uh, on February second. Uh, how'd you get hooked up with Sergey? His manager called me because he brought me another fighter named Johnny Beck. Who you got to keep your eyes out for? This kid's a future superstar. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about him. I wanted to ask you about him, but yeah, let's let's. After like two weeks of Johnny Beck, the manager called me back. I said, "Would you consider training um, Kovalev?" I said, "Why not? Let's, you know, if you can set up a meeting between us, we can talk, work for a couple of days, and then go from there." And then after that, here we are. Cool, cool. Well, Kovalev was, I mean, he's a huge underdog. and Well, maybe not a huge underdog, but he's definitely an underdog in a rematch with Alvarez. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about how he's finished and how Andre Ward took his soul in that second fight. And uh, I mean, how did you prepare Kovalev uh, for the Alvarez rematch to, to prove all the doubters wrong? To be honest, Kirk, I've never saw the first fight. Hmm. 
know, I don't believe in watching tape. Interesting. Okay. I, I believe that you prepare for any and everything. But I just kept it basic. We kept it basic in training. And then I seen what kind of jab Kovalov has. So I said, with a jab like that, you don't need nothing else. <laughs> and, you know, the great Ray told me one day in 1989, he says, buddy, I had about four world champions, and all they had was a left jab. I educated their left hand. And I'm like, said, this guy has a great left hand. And then one day, Sergey sent me a video of one of his amateur fights. And he was losing after the first round, but then he started using his jab, coming back, landing his straight right hand. I'm like, that's all you got to do. Mm. Keep it basic, but perfect it. And that's all I did. Wow. Well, In training, I would make him some rounds, only throw left jab, nothing else. Right. I mean, on the heavy bag rounds, nothing else, just jabs. Everything else is going to follow. He knows how to fight. Right, right. So you keep, you keep it back. Listen, take away, take away Floyd Mayweather's shoulder roll, which has been around a hundred years. What right. does Floyd do that special? Right, right, right. I mean, he's got the pull encounter, and he's and he's got quick hands. <laughs> but other than that, he does. He perfected the basics. Right. Right, right, absolutely. Absolutely. And they perfected it. You know what I mean? The guys today, some of these trainers today try to reinvent the wheel. It's like homeboy. At the end of the day, you see the jab right hand left hook? Jab right hand uppercut? What else is there? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know, it's funny because uh it's funny because uh, you know, you you're Training and advice in the corner has evolved over the years, and I, I want to get into that. But uh, we'll get into that later. But let's talk about Kovalev a little more. Um, yeah, your, your advice during the fight—it was, you know, it, you're right. I mean, you got him to relax. It seemed like, and you were just tell him, you know, don't struggle in the clinches. And I mean, you really did no. a great, great job in the corner of just keeping him composed and, and, and focused. And uh, thank you. You know, and I, I know Sergey had complained in the past that he'd overtrained and he left it in the gym and. The ESPN crew said something pretty interesting, I thought, during the broadcast. They were like, they said that, you know, you noticed that he gets sharper earlier in camp. So explain that a little yeah. bit, like like how, how maybe some fighters peak quicker than others in camp. You know, when, was, when did he was sparring? And it was like three and a half weeks out. And I'm looking at him, he's working, he's sparring, I'm like, we still got three and a half weeks, man. Mm. I said, look, man, go home and I'll see you on Monday. And he looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> he was like, what are you talking about, buddy? I said, listen, man, we still got three weeks. If you throw a combination like that now, what are we going to do for the next three weeks? <laughs> you know, I, I've learned from a lot of old trainers that you have to know your fighter. You got to watch him every day. Study his movements. This way you know if he's peaking too soon. This way you know if he's shot. <laughs> right, right. This right. way you know you know I mean, this way you know if he's doing the right thing. So no, I, I look I look at their reaction to punches. Mm. 
to let me know, okay, this is where we're at right now. And this one day, I don't know what was in, what it got into him, but he was like throwing four or five punch combinations. I'm like, hold on, man. He goes, well, why do you want me to go home? I said, don't do another exercise. Take your gloves off and go home. Mm. And he's like, well, can I hit the, no. I said, don't do anything. <laughs> I said, don't come to the gym tomorrow. Mm. Wow. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm like 40 minutes from Oxnard where we trained. So I drove down there to make sure he didn't show his ass about the gym. Mm. He didn't show up. Cool. I mean, so, you know, you just, you know, a lot of stuff I've learned from the old trainers, man, you know. A lot of these guys say don't give those old trainers their props. Right. But those guys, they don't get no better than that. You don't get no better than Ray Arcel, uh Eddie Fudge, George Benton, Louis Fisher. Um, is this, I mean, so many of the older guys that really, you know, really don't get, you know, Eddie Fudge, you know, I spent one day, no lie, before, two weeks before he died, I spent three hours, three hours talking to him. Mm, mm. Just picking his brain. We was in um, Richard Steele's gym in Las Vegas. Wow! Wish I see. I was I picked. I picked his brain. Wish I wish I'd have been a fly on the wall for that one, man. I bet that'd been awesome. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was it was it was you know, man. I learned so much, man. And then talking with him and talking with Georgie Benton, mm. just you know, a lot of stuff they said always stuck in my head. Right. I mean, so right. you know. And when I, one day when I was in the gym talking with Eddie Fudge, a lot of other trainers said to me, look, man, the game is over. He's washed up. I said, let me tell you guys something, man. What he forgot, you guys haven't learned yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? I said, so you guys, should, you guys should be sitting there with me picking his brain. Right. Man, he's old school. He's just, that's the best school. Right. The old school's the best school. You guys said everybody wants to do this, do that, do this, do that. None of that shit don't work if you don't have the basics down pat. Right. I mean, I don't care who you are. So, and then I learned from them how to be Roy Jones. Hmm. Mm. I mean, Georgie Benton said to me, buddy, I don't care how fast a guy is. He cannot punch and block punches at the same time. Mm. So if he's throwing a combination, how the hell is he going to block something coming back at him? Wow. He goes, Roy is so fast that Roy, if you like study Roy, when Roy throws a right hand, if he missed the right hand, he's going in that direction. Right. Right. That's his escape. That's his offense and his defense. If he hits with the right hand, he's going to come back with something. But if he miss, he's just going to continue to go to his left, then turn around and hit you with four or five punches. Mm. So I told Antonio, he, he's not throwing straight right hands. I said, so when he throws the right hand, throw a right hook, that's going to keep him. He ain't going to go that way no more. Right. And in the first fight, I'll never forget, Roy was jabbing, and he was throwing a wide right hand to Thomas gut. So I said, Antonio, did that punch bother you? He said, no. I said, okay. Next time he throws it, I told him this in the rematch. Come down the middle with the left hand. Mm. 
can't miss them. If you miss them, there's a problem. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? And and then Eddie Fudge told me that you have to offset Roy's rhythm. Got to offset his rhythm. I mean, these guys, I man, these guys were geniuses, man. Absolutely. They were, they were, they were, they were, they were geniuses. So if I can't learn from these guys, who the hell am I going to learn from? <laughs> yeah, I remember Fudge... Uh... Fudge basically uh, set the game. I mean, he he was he was Ali's kryptonite because uh, you know with he he kind of came up with the the game plan for Frazier and 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 also uh, Norton. And again, Norton Norton was very similar to what uh, Georgie Benton told. He told uh, Norton to you know because Ali pulls back, so you got you can't hit him. So you got to punch punch at the same time he's punching. You know you got to punch with him. Eddie Fudge said to Ken Norton, Ali doesn't throw left hooks. So keep your right hand in front of you. He's a jabber. When he jabs, you jab with him. Right. He beat Ali with two two different guys that had two different styles. Right. Right. You know what he, I mean? So. Yeah, Eddie Fudge. Gotta, you know I mean, probably one of the best. I mean, if not the the best trainer, then certainly in in the top two or three. <laughs> okay. Listen, people say, buddy, you know, you found the the the, the secret to Roy Jones. No. Eddie Fudge found it in the first fight with Montel Griffin in Roy Jones. That Montel Griffin just lost focus for a split second. Right. But you remember that first fight with Roy Jones? He was giving Roy hell. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was giving Roy a lot of trouble, but then he lost focus for one second. (laughs) Yeah. And Roy, Roy, Roy capitalized on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the first fight, he was, you know, Roy make a move, Montel make a move. He was offsetting his rhythm, and he said, "You got to offset his rhythm, buddy." Hmm. Yeah, Roy. That's why I re- go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I was gonna say, Roy. Roy even says that he's a rhythm fighter. You know, he's totally a rhythm fighter. So that's great advice. That's why I respect uh, Robert Garcia because hmm. he's taking guys that had limited skills to that next level. Yes. Think about it. Madonna, Madonna, whatever. Well, that guy can't fight. <laughs> Anybody else trains him. Let's be realistic. Anybody else trains him, he's not as successful as he was. Yeah, well, shit, he almost okay. he, he almost got Jose Cito Lopez to knock out Keith Thurman. That's pretty damn fucking There you good. go. <laughs> so, you know, so you know, I mean, the guy, him and his dad, they, you know, they know their shit. I give them their props. Right. No, I give him and his dad that, you know, I was in camp with his dad with Fernando Vargas. His father knows his stuff, man. I call him Papa G. Papa G knows his stuff. Right, right. But you see how Robert's doing it? He's getting it from the old generation. Absolutely. Well, shit, Eddie Futch used, you know spar- used to spar with Joe Lewis. So, shit, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, history and, and great fighters and, you know, being around greatness. I mean, Eddie got a personal lesson from Joe Lewis on how to, how to you know, stay out of trouble and not get knocked out, you know, and offset power and, and all that, you know. So he knows what See, he Eddie Futch, Eddie Futch said he told Chappie Blackburn, he's a heavyweight, I'm a lightweight. He said Chappie told him don't get hit. don't get hit you know what I mean so these guys were geniuses man you know absolutely have you ever seen the fight the fight with um, Georgie Benton and Hurricane Carter 
in Madison Square Garden. Georgia Ben took the fight on like a week or two notice. Carter was throwing punches at him, and Georgia was on the ropes doing the shoulder roll. He just tucked his chin. Hurricane Carter threw 10 punches and missed 12. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Ben Ben was, uh, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, <clears throat> I go did back. You the, did you do the math on that? Did you do the math on what I just said? <laughs> and Cardi, he I threw mean. threw 10 and missed 12. Yeah. <laughs> That's Georgie Benton. That's Georgie Benton. I mean, when I look back at those fights, it just look at like the foot faints, the head faints, just the real subtle stuff that those guys had. You're just like, man, that's missing today. <laughs> it was. It was. Let me tell you. I tell everybody this story when I first turned pro. As a matter of fact, you want to hear something crazy? I had my first pro fight 37 years ago today. Oh, is that that's right. It was in uh it was what was it? It was March, right? You did turn pro. Yeah, March second, nineteen eighty two, North Bergen, New Jersey. That's right. Holy smokes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So there was a guy that my trainer Dom Amoroso was training. His name was David Brown. God bless him. He's dead now. It was out of Elizabeth. His name was David Brown. He's a featherweight. And he had just fought Patrick Ford to a draw. Oh, wow. He came into the gym one day and he said to me, hey, shorty, I'm inspired. So I looked at him and I'm like, I'm like, I heard him. I'm like, said, you think so? I said, yeah. He said, okay, glove up. <laughs> the guy gloved up, came out, got in the ring, and he took a quarter and put it on the floor. He goes, shorty, I'm going to stand on this quarter. And you could throw anything you want at me as hard as you could. You're not going to hit me with nothing. <laughs> he said, the only thing you might hit me with is a jab. He said, put your left hook in your right hand. You can shove up your ass. You're not hitting me with that. <laughs> and let me tell you, the only thing I did hit him with was a jab. Everything else missed. Wow. Wow. He kept his left hand low. He kept his left hand low. And I was shooting that right hand, man. He was getting under, and then he hit me. Wow. Like shit, and he has, he was he would yell time, and he said, "Look down, I'm still standing on the quarter." <laughs> oh, that shit, I shit. could not believe it. I got my ass up with a man standing in one spot. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's... you know, I was young. You know, I was knocking people out. I'm like, shit, I'm gonna hurt this other guy. Just <laughs> sure he ain't gonna hit me. But let me tell you, couldn't touch him. But I learned. I learned from him, man. You know, he, just that day taught me so much. And it was like, you're not going to knock everybody out, man. Right. Right. I mean, everybody's not going to go. So you got to set. He told me you got to relax, shorty, and set shit up. I mean, he was spinning me, hitting me with like three or four punches. Five. I thought I was surrounded. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was getting mad. <laughs> Couldn't touch him, man. The man was a genius. He, unfortunately, he got killed, but. Mm. You know what I mean? And a lot of people never heard of him, but this guy was unbelievable, man. Wow. He was unbelievable, man. David Brown, never forget. I was like, shh. I, I was on the train going home like, how the hell did that happen today? <laughs> but I learned. I learned from him, man. I learned. I learned. And, you know, those experiences that, you know, people, some people will admit it, some won't. You know? And you know, I tell people when I fought Sal Mamby, I hit him with a right hand. I hurt him. 
I went in for the kill. He hit me in the liver. I pissed on myself. Mm. Got in the clinch. He said, slow down, young man. <laughs> I said, no problem. <laughs> that liver shot hurt like hell. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Mamby, man. He said, fought everybody. Oof. Yeah, he said, slow down, young man. I said, no problem, sir. You got it. <laughs> He's letting me know you're going to get the win, but not like how you want. Right, 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 right. You, you, you ain't knocking me out, young fella. <laughs> and you believe, you believe two years later, he beat Glenwood Brown at 41 years old? I don't know, man. Mabby was unbelievable. Didn't he fight till he was about 50? I mean, that, that dude was just. Yeah. Just, yeah. And that's just, and, and a guy who, you know, wasn't a big hitter, you know, uh, didn't look like much when you looked at him, but damn, smart, just a really, really smart, intelligent fighter, man. Really smart fighter. You know, people ask me who was the best fighter. I tell people, Sal Mamby was the smartest. Right. But Pennell, thanks to Georgie Benton, was the best. Because Georgie, Georgie said Pennell was his masterpiece. Hmm. And they told me after the first fight, McGurgy almost ruined my masterpiece. <laughs> Well, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, man. We're gonna to get to all that. We're gonna to get to all that. But let's. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring you back down to 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 to. I want to ask a few more questions about the guys you're handling. You're handling. Then we're gonna to get to your career. Okay. But uh, so with Sergey, what what do you see, uh, Sergey uh, Kovalev? What do you see uh, next for him? I mean, the light heavyweight division is popping now. You've got <laughs> you got a uh, Vosdik. They have the same manager, so that that might not be next, but. You know, you got Bivol who's fighting pretty soon. You know, undefeated champ. Vazic's an undefeated champ. Better Bev. What do you think about Bivol? What do you think about Bivol who's getting ready to fight uh, Joe Smith? What do you think about that fight? You know, it, it's crazy with Bivol because to me, I consider him a prospect still. And, and, and he's a world champ. He's like learning as he goes, you oh, know? He's, he's doing on the job training. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they moved him really fast. I mean, he's he's talented for sure, and he and he hits hard. But you can see that you know they jumped him up, and now he's not knocking everybody out. So, um, you know, we'll see how he how, if he if he slugs it out with Joe Smith, that could get interesting because <laughs> Smith can hit. Yeah, he can punch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Bivol's too skilled for him. You know, probably should stop him, but but could get interesting if if Smith can uh, can nail him with something. Right, but uh, and you got that kid from England too, Anthony Yard. Who uh, Frank? I mean, Frank Warren's got him, so Frank's not going to let him fight anybody till he, he he thinks he's ready. So even though a guy's like the number one contender, he's been number one contender for like a year. But I mean, Warren is 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 I, very smart with his guys. So so we'll see. I was saying that kid Yard. I never heard of him, but can he fight? Um, you know, I mean, he looks like he can fight, but you don't know till he steps up. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I haven't seen him really fight a, a top 25 guy yet. I mean, the guys he's been in there with, he's, he's mowing down, but he hasn't been in there with anybody, you know, who's, who's, you know, top level. So it's hard to say. He hasn't stepped up to the, he hasn't stepped, stepped up to the plate yet. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not at all. Oh, okay. Not gotcha. At all. Not at all. And he talk about uh, who Sergey's going to fight next, or is he just chilling right now? Nah, you know what? Nothing's been said, so I, I couldn't even tell you, to be honest. I gotcha. I gotcha. 
Well, speaking of Sergey's, let's talk about uh, Sergey Lipinets. Are you you still working with uh, with him? No, I'm not working with him. No, no. Oh, you're not working with no, him. No. Okay, okay, okay. No, no. Okay. So you're working with uh, John Abeck, though. John Abeck, uh, was it Alim yeah. Kanuli? Yeah, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, that's that's no a long ass last name, man. A long ass last yeah. name. But he's, I mean, he's, you know, former amateur world champ, 2016 Olympian. Um, and they definitely have not been babying him. Holy shit. I mean, he's like 5-0. and wow. He's already fought uh, Vaughn Alexander and Stevie Martinez. So uh, how, how is he adjusting to the pros? And how is it to work with him? You know what? I think the, the Alexander fight really gave him a whole different outlook on what, what to expect. Right. I mean, because Vaughn, I mean, Vaughn surprised me. I mean, I mean, Vaughn was was trying to get his ass out of there. I mean, and he hit Vaughn with some good shots. When he hit Vaughn, Vaughn to come right back. Yeah, Vaughn's so tough. So I thought that was, yeah, so that's a tough fight. That was a good win for him. Absolutely. You know I mean? so, so, you know, right now he's fighting... Uh, April twelfth. Who I don't know. Okay, okay, but he's definitely a good-looking kid. Definitely, uh, yeah, a lot of promise. He's only twenty-five too. That's why I'm surprised they're they're putting him in tough, so tough, so early. Yeah, he's but a, he's a baby. Yeah, he'll be good. He'll be good. Well, let's get into let's get into your Hall of Fame career, man. And uh, you've got so many great fights, so many great stories. But let's let's get into your background. You grew up in uh, Brentwood, Long Island. What was it like uh, growing yes, up there? Sir. <laughs> it was great it, to me. It was the greatest place in the world to grow up, man. I've learned. I mean, it's taught, being there, growing up there in my neighborhood, seeing the stuff that I've seen and experiencing stuff. It's helped me be prepared for when I was able to travel out of the country. I'm like, yo, I mean, you see, I've seen all this as a youngster. So it helped me adapt well, no matter where I went. Right. You know, because, you know, we had we had a little bit of everybody. You know what I mean? But everybody was cool with each other. You know, as a kid, you know, I mean, you know, you had the dope fiends. You had the alcoholics. You had all that. But they were the coolest guys in the world, man. <laughs> I mean, they were cool. They would come to my amateur fights drunk as hell. <laughs> but they always showed support, yelling and screaming, you know what I mean? But, I, I mean, I loved it because no matter what I did in the neighborhood, if I was hanging out somewhere I had no business, they would tell me I had to leave. I couldn't be there. Mm. They say because of my brother, everyone knew my brother and my dad. And they say, yo, man, we're going to let your brother know you're here. I'm like, no, you can't do that. He's going to kick my butt. They said, well, you got to go. Mm. Mm. And I would leave. You know what I mean? I mean, in the summertime, we used to have DJs in the park. The DJ be in the park. And, you know, you're in the park trying to get your freak on. <laughs> and, I mean, dancing and everything. It was fun, man. It was a whole lot of fun, man. And. My brother's friends were seeing me and say, man, your brother know you out here, man. I'm hmm. like, I said, look, man, I don't have to, because I had a curfew, I had to be home by 11. I said, look, man, it's not at my curfew. They said, we don't care about your curfew, McGurk. You cannot be here. Hmm. Hmm. 
your brother told us if we see you anywhere you don't belong, to let him know. So how do you want to do this? I'll be like, shit, I get on my bike and ride my bike home. <laughs> but I thanked him. Now I thank him that I'm older. I mean, I realized that they were really basically just keeping me out of, the, out of trouble. Right. Saving you a few headaches. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, so they, you know, they, 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 they were great, and I loved them for it, and I thank them, man. And I mean, I miss those guys. And when I go back to the neighborhood, they're not around anymore. Mm. Mm. I mean, but those guys, man, they were, they were something else, man. You know, and uh, you know, um, when I became champ, and they were all there. You know, I mean, the ones that were alive, you know, they were there, and we hung out, and I buy them some whatever they drank, and I just sit there. Listen to war stories that they used to tell me, which I know was half bullshit, but it was fun, man. <laughs> it was fun, man. It was it was great. I mean, and a lot of them still looked out for my mom. They go by my mom's house, check on her, make sure she was all right, cut her grass. You know, I mean, Brentwood was to me was great, man. You know, it was multicultural, black, white, everybody, Puerto Rican, everybody lived together. That's great. So when I when I would go places and people like yo man you know like when I would go to Florida and visit my cousins, I mean like no nah, you can't go in that store I'm like why not? Right. Nah 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 the white man says we can't come in there I'm like what are you talking about? <laughs> and they're like it's not like that in New York I'm like hell no now nah, man ever listen just like we would borrow sugar from the white people they borrow sugar from us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. So it's, I said it wasn't it wasn't you're better than me and I'm better than you. So we all got along. That's why I'm glad I grew up in New York. Period. Right. Absolutely. You know I mean, but you go to certain states and it's like, are you serious right now? Yeah. And people look at me like you didn't experience that in New York. I'm gonna look. You're gonna experience anywhere you go. But in New York, hell no. Everyone caught the subway. You know, Kurt, you travel it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what I mean. And, and back in the seventies, where I grew up in Long Island, man, we we didn't have all that. And one day, a kid called me the N word, and I punched him in the face. Mm. I got home, and my mother said, "Okay, now your dumbass is suspended for five days. Why?" I said, "Mike, call me." And my mother said, "Okay, so you lose five days of school because of that." Mm. She said, "Next week, you're not going to be playing on the playground together in school." Right. I'm like, nah, Ma. She said, okay, watch and see. Sure enough, we was at a kickball tournament, and man, I think I was on the same team. <laughs> it's like, shit, man, you know. So, you know, you know, growing up there, man, was, I, I mean, I loved it, man. I, I, I really, really loved it. I mean, and it just taught me so much. When I traveled the world, <laughs> I was used to it. You know, I was used to whatever came my way whether it was a drug dealer or a drug user or an alcoholic or a wannabe tough guy or mugger, New York prepared me for that. Right. I mean, when I go to places now, people say, you're from New York, aren't you? I'm like, yes. <laughs> How did you know this? You just got that attitude. And you're loud and you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Got that swag. You know what I mean? But growing up in, in Brentwood, man, I, you know... Now it's not the same anymore, man. They got the MS-13 there, man. Mm. They're killing people left and right, man. Wow. They're killing, they're killing young kids, man. Mm. They're killing young kids, you know, teenagers, man. It's, it's a shame. 
They're lucky the old school guys ain't around no more. Because mm. it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't, that's not that would have taken place. Some old school guys didn't tolerate that. The right. gangs and all that, nah, you couldn't come to Brentwood. You couldn't come to Brentwood with that gangster. Right. And you could probably go to other towns, but in Brentwood, nah, it wasn't happening. The old timers would get together and jump your ass, you know what I mean? Right. Hmm. We didn't have gangs in Brentwood. You know, some other towns around us had little gangs, but in Brentwood, nah, man, we didn't, they didn't play that. Hmm. And you couldn't come to Brentwood and say, I'm with a gang. Yeah, you are, okay. You wake up the next day, be 50 guys waiting for you outside. <laughs> we got your gang. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, man, you know. You know, and then, you know I knew like, the hangout spots, man. It was, well, I would go there, you know, my dad would be there hanging out. You know what I mean? And funny story, man. You, you're not going to believe this. But you can't make this up, man. They had a taxi place in Brentwood. It was called Maine taxi right mm-hmm. it was owned by an old white guy named Max right mm-hmm. inside main taxi there was card games and dice games going on so if you call the cab for main taxi send me the cab boom you never knew who's going to pick you up <laughs> it was whoever wasn't the drunkest Go pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> Half of the guys didn't have a license. <laughs> but they would pick you up, man, and drive you to Pathmark or wherever you had to go. And that's how you could get Pathmark. They'd be in the car drunk sleep waiting for you to come out. <laughs> <laughs> So funny, man. And inside, like, inside, inside was the best crap game you ever wanted to see. <laughs> it was, and the cops were parked across the street. Hmm. And the cops knew they were shooting dice there, but they left them alone. They didn't bother them. Hmm. <laughs> they went there shooting dice and drinking. You get a call, someone will come out. You didn't know who was on. One day, my father was driving the cab. I said, Dad, you ain't got no license. He said, they don't know that. My <laughs> <laughs> father said, they don't know that. I said, but dad, you've been drinking. He said, they don't know that either. I'm like, dad, they know that. <laughs> I mean, and it was just, man, it was, it was, but those were the best times, man. Because you knew what you call main taxes. You'd be like, if they said 15 minutes, that means 30 minutes. <laughs> And you know, whoever picked you up nine times out of ten didn't have a license. Seven times out of ten, they were drunk. <laughs> but I will say this, though. You got from point A to point B and back home. Right, right, right. I mean, there was never no complaints about being taxed. None. <laughs> <laughs> well, you knew you knew what you were getting yourself into with, with, with Maine. But, yeah, yeah, so you said, I'm, I want a cab. Uh, damn, I got to call main taxes. Shit. <laughs> they call. You, you know what I mean? You know who's going to answer the phone. <laughs> you know I mean? And then when I was like 12, 13, my dad, that was his hangout. Mm. After work, he would hang out there. So on Fridays after school, I would go home and get my clothes because I used to spend the weekends with my dad. But shit, half of, when I get to main taxi by 4 o'clock, 
I was there at 9, 10 o'clock at night. My father would be there gambling. There was times I'd be answering the phone in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Because everybody would shoot dice. Everybody would shoot dice, man. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, but, it, but you know what, though? As a, you know, it was fun. Right. right. It was a great experience, man. It was, nobody was, uh, like I said, you know, you might get two guys up be fighting over a dice game. They'll fight for 10 minutes. And they come back inside, and they be drinking together. Right, 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 right. I mean, that's how it was. I mean, then we had a store called Mike's Store. A little short old white guy owned it. Mm. Now, but behind Mac, behind Mike's Store was a tree where everybody hung out under the tree because it's a big tree with nothing but shade, twenty four hours a day. Mm. So my mother was like, "Your father's at the tree. He knew where to go." <laughs> That's and it was awesome. next door to Main Taxi. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the spot right there, right? you know, by Main. Yeah, Main Taxi was the spot. <laughs> Main Taxi in the and the Placita. The Placita, wow. And the Placita, believe it or not, the Placita is still there. That store is still there. Wow. The La Placita. That's what. That's what everybody hung out. <laughs> well, you're talking about when you're 12, 13 years old. So you started boxing when you on your 12th birthday, right? 1976. Yes, right? sir. January 17th, I started on my birthday. So tell people how you got started yeah. boxing. I was playing, I, was, I played football, little league football. And they used to have trouble finding a helmet to fit my head. <laughs> like, I had, to, <laughs> I had to take off my helmet like every other place. I was getting heavy. But the helmet was just... My head was too big for a twelve year old. <laughs> Did you tell me they used to call you uh, he- they used to call you headquarters at head games? Yeah, my brother my brother <laughs> Mike used to call me headquarters. So, so So one day I was at the rec center, it was called it was called the Brentwood Rec. Upstairs they had like basketball, everybody would play basketball there, especially in the wintertime. Downstairs they had weightlifting and they had uh professional boxing, not amateurs. So guys like Georgie Fakaris, Patty Dolan, Vito Antifermo, they'd be there boxing. I used to sit there and watch them. But I thought it was going to be a weightlifter, but I don't weigh like 60 pounds. Mm. I thought it was going to be a weightlifter. <laughs> so, you know, and there's an old man, his name was Bill. He ran the weightlifter program. So one day, you know, one of the guys asked the trainer, the coach, Gene Moore, they said, uh, when are you going to have boxing for kids? And he goes, next week, next Saturday. But you got to be 12 years old. I said, next Saturday, that's my birthday. Wow. He says, well, how old are you going to be? I said, I said, 12. He said, well, get in at 12 o'clock. So I went home. I told my mother. She said, you can go. But, you know, I was raised Catholic. So I had to go to religion first. Mm. And mom said, you go to religion? And then you walk from the church to the wreck. And you can join Baptist. So I uh, went to my mother. told me if I had St. Anne's Church. Religion was over at eleven thirty and I walked. I walked to the wreck. The rest is history. <laughs> so I heard so I was playing football. Well I heard I, I was gonna say I heard you had your first amateur fight one month after you started <laughs> boxing at uh February twenty first. Right. I fought a kid named Ricky Randazzo. And it was a smoker show and my first amateur fight. It was like my first pro fight, a draw. <laughs> you might be I the... I with Victor Rand. 
You might be Go the ahead. only you might be only the only fighter in the Hall of Fame or any fighter that I've heard of who started both his amateur and pro careers with a draw. <laughs> yeah, started both fights for Ricky Randazzo, which from center reach all around. But here's the funny part. Two weeks before the fight, we sparred each other for a whole week. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> no wonder it was a draw. <laughs> so but it was a fight that we was getting down, Jack. We we was I walked home with my hand wraps on. <laughs> you know I mean, and uh, so the following year, I was playing football, and I got hurt on the football field, and like the third play of the game. So the coach was like, you know, put ice on it, but it was like freaking ten degrees outside. I'm like, put ice, like yeah, put ice on your hand, keep the swelling down. So you know, I was 13 at the time. Now you know, I've been boxing for a year, and I'm like. This guy's out of his damn mind. I'm not putting this cold-ass thing on my hand. It's already cold out here. <laughs> so I said, buddy, you can be in a warm boxing gym right now. You don't have to be out here in this cold. So I kept telling myself, you know, go home. Right. Football, they can't find a helmet to fit your head. Football is not here. <laughs> so at halftime, the coach Everybody was going to sit in the in the, uh, in the thing. I gave the coach my helmet, my shoulder pads. I said, I bring the rest of this shit on Monday. And I walked home. Mm. <laughs> I walked in the house. My mother said, the game's over already? I said, Mom, look at my hand. She said, okay, the hand is messed up, but what the hell are you doing home? Mm. I said, Mom, I, I couldn't take it no more. I couldn't take the call. I'm, I'm just going to stick to boxing. Wow. And what did my mother do when I got home? Like all the old fashioned people. She stuck my hand in hot water with us and so. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, the coach was telling me to keep ice. I'm like, Mom, my hand is black and blue. You know, the coach had me put ice on it. I said, I couldn't take it no more. So I walked my ass home from the game and the rest is history. <laughs> all right. Yeah, my, brother's, my brother Mike used to call me headquarters. <laughs> Oh man, so you you so you box for like six years as an amateur, and 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 eventually uh, you uh, ended up going pro in in, in March of uh, nineteen eighty two. Uh, you turned pro as yeah. a wel- as a welterweight, um, and you you debuted in uh, North Bergen against uh, the unbeaten local star there, uh, Lamont Haith coach. They they threw you threw you in a tough one in, in your debut. So talk talk about that. That fight and turn a pro. They they called me a week before the fight. Mm. I was a senior in high school, so they called me a week before the fight. And Lou Caravella called me. Said, "Buddy, got your fight, kid." Yeah, he goes, "Yeah." I said, "When?" He said, "Next week." I said, "That's a Tuesday." He said, "Yeah." He says, "But don't worry, we got to go to Jersey this week and meet the the, the promoter." I said, I no, no problem. I said, how much am I getting? He said, 200 bucks. So I was like, oh, $200? I'm like, yeah. I said, shit, hell yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking $200 is a lot of money. So we go. We meet, that's when I first met Al Cerro. Right. God bless him, you know. But he was a chain smoker. Mm. So his tailor shop was full of smoke. And he's cursing this one out. I'm like, wait a minute, man. This guy's a nut job. 
You were right about that, but and go ahead. Went, <laughs> yeah. So we went to dinner, and he was cursing the whole time. He said, hey, kid, can you take a punch, kid? And I said, I don't know. I never want to find out. <laughs> so we went for it, and um, after that, my girlfriend told me she was pregnant. Oh, wow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... So my two hundred bucks went quick. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a lot of money, but it went quick. Right. So then, um, uh, my manager Stewie saw Tom Emerson that night. He had five guys fight. The only guy that didn't win was the guy that fought me. Mm. Because I want that guy to train you. So we drove to Hoboken. They was training in Hoboken at the time. We drove to Hoboken and uh, walked in the gym and I watched. And, you know, coming from Brentwood, now you go to Hoboken, the gym is packed. Mm. And they had Nino Gonzalez in there, Tim Brody. Everybody was there. It was packed, man. And I, I'm looking around. I'm like, shit. I mean, I'm like, do I really want to do this? So I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. And I'm talking to myself while I'm in the crowded gym. And uh, the old man said, I love to train the kid, but he's got to come here every day. So Stewie said, no problem. So I'm looking at him like, what do you mean no problem, man? (laughs) You're coming from Long Island to to, to Hoboken. Holy shit. (laughs) He said, uh, he goes, I'm going to tell you where the path train is. And you walk from the path train to the gym. You take the path train in Manhattan on 33rd Street. I said, okay. So Stewie, you know, Stewie drove me to the path station, showed me where it was. And he drove me to Manhattan We found the path station. It was on the Macy. Right. So we said, okay, so now you got to take the Long Island Railroad here. I'm like, what? I said, I've never taken no damn train. And will you take one now? <laughs> and I, so my, my shop teacher in high school <laughs> used to let me get leave early to go catch the train. Oh, wow. And so I would catch the 1227 train, get to the gym by 3 o'clock, and then after that I would, I mean, get come back to Manhattan and catch the, the Long Island Railroad Back to Brentwood, which would give me that eight thirty. Wow! So, so I, you know, and then, uh, then after the first year, we moved to to the gym in, to Bofanos in Jersey City, which is like a mile and a half walk from from Path Train to the gym, and I did that shit every day for six years, man. That is. Insane. That's insane. Rain, rain, sleet, or snow. <laughs> so who ended one up? One day the train. Go ahead. Uh, went down the train. It was snowing bad. February of 83. And my mom said, do not get on that train, bro. I said, I got to get to the gym. I'm fighting. And I got on the train, and we went Brentwood, Deer Park, Wyandotte. And that's where the train stayed for seven hours. Oh, Jesus. I sat there for seven hours on the train. Damn. 
and then traveling back to Brentwood. <laughs> wow, wow, that is effed up, man. Hey, who who trained yeah, you there? Was was it was it Al who trained you? Al Serto, or who trained no, you in in, in, in Jersey? Dominic Amoroso. Dominic Amoroso okay. taught me every, taught me everything I know. Hmm. So, how many years did he train you? Dominic trained me from 1982 to 1986. Okay, okay. Right before my first, I was undefeated with Dominic. Right, right. Then right. my first big fight with uh, Frankie Warren on NBC. Right, right. Then Al came in, and then him and Dominic had a big argument. And Al had this old mafia guy come up to the gym to show me a move, right? Mm. So he keeps showing me the move, and he was hitting me. But I didn't know he was a mafia guy. He was the boss, Johnny DiGilio. Mm. So I said, Dominic, if this motherfucker hits me one more time, I'm going to punch him in his fucking face. Right. Dominic says, let me talk to you, kid. So he took me, he called me out of the ring, he took me to the side, he goes, kid. Just listen to the man. I'm like, Dominic. I said, this motherfucker keeps punching me, man. Right. He goes, buddy, if you say anything wrong to the guy, it's going to give out a lot of trouble. Mm. I said, the guy is a mob boss. Mm. I'm like, what? That's <laughs> a priest. Yes. I said, like, Dominic. So then after that, Alan Dominic had a falling out. Oh, wow. But, but I would say this, though. Dominic would be in the gym every day while I train. He'd sit in the corner and just watch me and nod if I was doing something right or if I was doing something wrong. Mm. But he was in that gym every day to, the, to 1995. Wow. He was in that gym every day. I used to say, oh, I'll give Dominic some money because Dominic wouldn't take no money from me. Mm. But Dominic had his pride. But he loved the horses. <laughs> he had his pride. So I said, Al, I said, look, give Dominic some money. Man. I told him every fight. I said, let's give him something else. I mean, I love Dominic. I love him. But whenever a guy would come to Al to train him, I said, Al, give the fighter to Dominic. If he lasts two weeks with Dominic, he's okay. Right. Not one guy has lasted, not one guy lasted two weeks with him. <laughs> wow. And Dominic was old school. He used to smoke a cigarette right next to me while I hit the heavy bag. <laughs> and I better not say anything about the fucking cigarette smoke. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he, he was, the man was a genius. So I got to give it to you. The man was a fucking genius. Mm. Well, it's I interesting. Mean, he taught me so much. It's interesting because, you know, you, you talk about old school and the old school trainers and the, the old school guys who uh, who you were, got hooked up with early in your career. Like the pacing of your your early career was was kind of uh, an anomaly for a modern fighter. I mean, you were really busy. They kept you busy. I mean, you had like, you know, six, seven fights for the first, you know, six, six or so years of your career. I mean, was that was that Al? Was that Al Cerdo's kind of old school management? And, you know, was yes. that? And my manager too. You know, he was like, "Look, we got to keep the kid busy." I mean, then I had a, you know, I had a kid at the time. You know, I had a, I had a baby to feed. Mm. It's not like they were giving me a salary or right. a signing bonus. Right. You know what I mean, they were giving me enough money to travel from point A to point B and to have a few dollars in my pocket 
to, you know, buy pampers and shit for my son. But I wasn't getting no stipend every week or every month, no. Right. You had to you fight know, for it. 20 bucks. It had 20 bucks had to last me a week, man. Mm. Oh, man. I used to leave my car home because I, I didn't want to put no gas. I keep my, I walk to the train station. Right. Right. Wow. You know what I mean? So, you know what I mean? If I needed something like Stu, I need extra 300. Okay, here. I mean, but other than that, man, you know, I had to, I thank God for my mom. You know, she helped me because, I, I, you know, I was a single parent with my son. So my mom and my sister helped me, but they were like, my mother's like, when you get your ass out that gym, you come straight home. Because mm. mm. this is your baby. Right, right. So I had, to, I had to come straight home, man. I tell everybody a story. 1983, it was snowed like going into 84. It snowed like a summer gun. I said, I'm going out tonight. I had a hot date set up. It was New Year's Eve. I had a hot date set up. And I come home and I see my mother getting dressed. I'm like, Mom, where are you going? She said, I'm going out. Just lose Eve. I'm off. I said, "What about James?" She said, "That's your damn baby. It ain't mine." <laughs> she said, "She said, whatever plans you got, so whatever plans you got, you can cancel them." <laughs> oh man! But here's here's the kicker. She says, "You better not take him out this house." Hmm. I said, "It was cold as shit outside, right. and the snow was deep." Right. And she said, you better not take James out of this house, bud. She said, because you don't know what time I'm coming back. Mm. She said, if you take him out of this house, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> I'm like, shit, man. So I just sat there. The ball dropped. He was in his playpen bouncing up and down. I'm looking at him like, this is some shit. <laughs> ruined my whole plan. So I had serious plans on that. I had a serious date set up, man. And... My mom was like, I ain't watching no babies tonight. <laughs> then my sister decided she wanted to sleep at her friend's house. I'm like, shit, man, so just me and James. <laughs> I mean, and about 11.30, he fell asleep before the ball dropped. Mm. Well, but by then, man, you know, I, had to cancel, I had to cancel all my plans. Mm. 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 Uh, but it was all fun, though. You know, it taught me a lot, so, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Like my mom, my mom knew. She knew I had plans. Right, right. But she was like, "Not tonight, son." <laughs> got to stay home. Got to take care of your responsibilities. Yes, that's why. I mean, and I got you know what we told her. I got to give some credit to Hector Roca. Mm. You know, Hector helped me a lot. I got to. I mean, when I when I started training with Hector. People were talking trash, you know, he's a bicycle champion, he's this, he's that. But Hector, I gotta say no to shit. I gotta give it to him. Wow, okay. You know I mean? Hector knows the shit. And a lot of people don't give him credit. Absolutely. He does but take Hector, a lot of abuse. Hector, <laughs> yeah. But he knows the shit. I gotta give it. I was his first world champion. Mm. Mm. I mean, he go, buddy, what the fuck you doing, buddy? What did that bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roka Roka traded a couple of my guys. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it worked. It worked for a while, but he's you know he's 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 a rough dude, man. Eventually, they you know they kind of scraped up against. You know, him you know and, what it is. <laughs> you have to adjust to his style. 
Right. He had a, he had moved that. You know, they said his brother was a boxer, and I think that he took a lot of stuff from him there, as far as moving with the feet. He taught me a lot of shit with my feet. I, I got to give it to him. Mm. I mean, me and him just clicked. Right. Right. You know, we just clicked. No, and how it clicked was I was sitting in heavy mm-hmm. bag in Gleason. It was in Manhattan. And he was sitting in a chair. And he goes, you got to put your fucking hands. You're dropping your hands too much. <laughs> and bend your fucking knee. As he talking to me, he said, talking to you. <laughs> so then Al called me one day. He goes, kid, I can't make it to Gleason this week. I said, what about this guy, Hector? He goes, you like him? I said, yeah, I like him. And then the rest of this room, man, Hector, you know. Hector took over then. Hector's my man. Cool. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of people, I mean, let me tell you, they used to talk shit to me about Hector in the dressing room. Man, you fucking crazy. This guy's a fucking bicycle champion. This motherfucker don't know what he's doing. Some shit. Obviously he does, because it's helping me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. I was 30 and 1 when I went to Hector. Mm. And when I started training with Hector, it was the first time I ever hit the mitts. Oh, wow. Okay. The old school yeah, guys didn't. Fights. The old, old school guys no, didn't do no. mitts. They didn't do mitts. No. Nah, okay. You do 10 rounds on the heavy bag before uh, they do mitts. I got you. If they do mitts, they can't smoke their cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen. Let me let me take you through a, a couple fights. I mean, you you uh, you fought a ton of fights in uh, the Felt Forum coming up from like eighty three to eighty nine. You had a ton of fights. I know. I know you signed. Um, I mean, I know MSG got back into promoting boxing at a certain point. I know Bobby Goodman was had you know was was running it for him. But yeah, did you sign a, a, a contract with those guys at some point, like a long term deal, short term? I, I, I signed a contract with them in eighty seven. Eighty seven. Okay. Okay. And then another one in 91. 91. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you fought a lot in the in the New York City area and you know, every time it, Yeah. I encourage people to go go on YouTube and check out uh the, those fights you had cuz you always had a great following, big turnout from uh, your your family and 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 fans and local fans. Uh you always had a great following. But uh yeah, man. I mean, you fought like seven times in 82, six times in 83. And it, it's funny, on BoxRec, I mean, you were about like 10-0 and 0 with a draw. And I see they were going to try and match you up with Jose the Threat Barrett at the Felt Forum. Yeah. But, uh, but he fell out, and you ended up fighting someone else. I mean, they definitely did not baby you. <laughs> Barrett yeah, was... I'm gonna try, I fought a guy, Larry Fleming. Right, right. And I, I knocked him out with a body shot. Mm. So then they tried to make the Barrett fight again. No, no, I'm lying. I'm lying. Then Barrett was going to fight somebody else. That person pulled out. Guess what they call? Who's that? You. Floyd Mayweather Senior. Oh, right, right, right. He fought because after because Starling fought him on national TV and and tore him up. Yeah. Because he was knocking people. I remember because in I grew up in Pennsylvania, but we used to get Madison Square Garden Network, and I remember watching him like. They ring the bell. Dude would be putting people out with like the first, first or second shot he'd throw. I mean, just a heavy, heavy-handed guy. But they, but then they, you know, they they put him in with Starling, and Starling kind of whooped his ass. <laughs> you should have seen, you should have seen what Floyd Senior did to him. 
Oh my God, it was brutal. He beat mm. the shit out of him. Mm. 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 I mean, yeah, Floyd Chaney beat the hell out of him in the film form. That's right. That's right. I think I saw, I saw some. Uh, I think I saw some highlights of that on on YouTube. Yeah. So it was a good fight though. Barrett Barrett tried to knock his head off, but yeah, Floyd had that yeah. that same you know shoulder roll and shell defense, and you know Barrett was just hitting a lot of arms and and air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, right, so. but you fought. I mean, you know, guy, guys that people may not know, but like Pete Padilla, Alan Braswell, you know, Ralph Twining, uh, old Willie Rodriguez. You fought some real tough, you know. Guys on the way up. You know, people did. People did was a slick son of a gun. Yeah, absolutely. He was slick. But, you know, he had one other thing in his favor. He had a college degree. Is that right? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, when he, you know, when I beat him, he was, that was it. But, shit, he had a college degree. He was slick, man. I guess Larry, you know, Larry has a refereed, I would say, over 15 of my fights. Mm. Great referee. Yeah, and he, he refereed the people did fight. Mm. And I recommend that he referee the first fight with Man Pinal. Yeah. I recommend that's the out. Yeah, I said, Al, can Larry has a referee to fight? He goes, what are you talking about? He's commissioner of New Jersey. I said, exactly. So he asked Bobby Goodman. And Bobby Goodman, I don't know what he called him, Rich. I mean, I Larry up, and then they kept okay through the doobers. I said, well, I said, because they were complaining about the ref. So I said, let's get Larry Hazard. And they were looking at me like I was crazy. <laughs> I love Larry. Larry's my man. I love Larry. Oh, Larry, I mean, to you me, know? to me, just in, in fights I've watched in my lifetime, that was the best referee ever. You know, he was just always yeah. had great timing, you know, just a great, you know, command of the fights. You know, he wasn't too intrusive. But, you know, he, he always seemed to, to stop the fights at the right time. Just a great, great, great referee. You know, I think with him, you know, I mean, I love life for doing my fighting. <clears throat> Me and Larry always talk boxing history. We always talk. And when I had, uh, when I had, when I had Arturo fighting Floyd, Larry walked around from his table to my corner and said, are you going to do it or do I have to do it? Mm-hmm. Mm. I said, can we give him to the end of the round? He said, okay. Right. And that's when I stopped him. Oof. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that fight, and I swear that that might be the most brutal fight I ever watched live, man. That was a tough one to watch. But um, speaking of, uh, like I said, you you know, seven times you fought at 82, six times at 83, five times at 84, six times at 85, and then uh, – they took you down to Corpus Christi, Texas, to take on a little junkyard dog named uh, Frankie Warren um, in Corpus Christi. And uh, I, all the listeners out there, if you got YouTube, ch- look, just check that fight out. I mean, there were so many great fights in the 80s, TV fights in the afternoons, but damn, buddy. I, I hadn't watched that in a long time. Holy shit did you guys throw down in that fight. My God, that was a good fight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And the thing is, the crazy thing is, like, the first round, you boxed great. I mean, it looked like a Buddy McGirt fight. You know, you had him on a string in the first round. And then you got drawn into the into the brawl, and that was it, man. That was it. You guys. You just, know what, man? Yeah. I've never had nobody put no heat on me like that before. Mm. That motherfucker put heat on you, man. And George Benton had him hit me everywhere. Mm-hmm. Hit me on my thighs, my hips. 
my kneecaps. Mm. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and he was just nonstop. And I was, when I figured him out, it was like round seven. Mm. But it was too late then, you know what I mean? Right, right. But I, I got him I got him in the rematch, so. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, if, if they had punch stats back then, I mean, he must have thrown like about 200 punches around. <laughs> it seemed like that anyway. Oh, man. His volume was, was insane. I mean, I still have nightmares about that guy, man. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though, buddy. You, you got your pound of flesh, too. I mean, I, honestly, I I doubt that Warren was the same after that fight. Because, man, you dug in. And some, no. of those, some of those hooks to the body you were landing, I was like, how in the hell did Warren take those, man? You must have hit him in the liver like 10 times with just a wicked hooks. I don't know how he took that. Man, man. That's, that's, man. One round after, after I knocked him down the eighth round, I said, I, I got him. Right. He came back. But you know when I knew I had him? In the 10th round, I pushed him a little bit. I took a referee said break. Mm-hmm. I pushed him, and I saw his legs were unsteady. I said, I got his ass now. <laughs> this is the rematch we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the rematch. I said, yeah. I, got, I got his ass now. <laughs> the first fight, listen, here's a funny story I tell people. After the first fight, okay, I lost. So... Everybody's upset, you know, that I lost. You know, I was supposed to fight for the title. And we were coming out the arena, and everyone's getting into the car. I said, I'm going to walk back to the hotel. Everybody's like, what? I said, I'm going to walk back to the hotel by myself. So it was about a mile walk, mile and a half. I walked back to the hotel. When I got to the hotel... Al was outside waiting for me. He said, what's wrong, kid? I said, when we go home, we get me a fight. He's like, what? I said, we got to get me a fight soon. He said, what are you talking about? I said, look, I put it behind me from the arena here. I put it behind me. I know what I did wrong. I know what I got to work on. Get me a So now I fought him in July. Mm-hmm. And I fought Salmambi in September. Right, right. And people got to know, too, like, Mambi had just been world champion, like, I think the year to, the year or two before that. And, uh, yeah. you know, he was he was top 10 fighter. So you, you came right. I mean, like I said, you, people got to see that fight. I mean, that was, I, you know, if that wasn't fight of the year, I don't know what was uh, that year. It was unbelievable, 10 rounds. And then two months later, you're back yeah. in with a former world champ, one of the smartest fighters in the world. It's crazy, <laughs> man. It's crazy. Now, Randy Gordon called me the week of the fight. He goes, are you crazy, buddy? <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're going from fighting a guy four foot tall. <laughs> so, so, man, are you crazy? He said, I love you, buddy, but I think so is a little bit too much. Mm. I said, well, I said, well, Randy, we'll find out. <laughs> All right. And um, I think after those two fights, it helped make me a better fighter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, two great fights. It helped fights. make me a better fighter after those two fights. Two. I mean, and, uh, you know, like I told, after the first fight, George Benton told me what I did wrong. Hmm. And when I'm getting the rematch, I say, Georgie, he said, what's up, buddy? I said, you know, all the stuff you told me I did wrong? He said, yeah. So I corrected it. 
You know, Kurt, out of my six losses, four of my six losses were the finest trained by Georgie Benton. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's right. It was, it was Meldrick, Purnell twice, and, uh, and Frankie Warren. Wow. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, man. Wow. Yes. Georgie Benton. Yeah, man. Great, 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 great boxing mind. Great boxing mind. Well, let's get back into your career. So you come off that loss to Warren. You get the win over Mamby in 87. You you only fought seven times, buddy. You know, you're kind of sleeping on us there. <laughs> but what the the one fight, one fight I remember talking to you about before in, in 87 was Vincent Relaford because you told me that's the hardest puncher you were ever in there with. So talk about the Relaford fight. <laughs> man, that guy, man. Let me tell you, he hit me with a body shot. I felt it in my nasal passage. Holy shit. <laughs> I was like, because, you know, the first three or four rounds, we were just in, in you know, at the, at the way, and I'm looking at him like, I'm going to kill this guy. Hmm. And he was real shy, didn't say much. I'm like, oh, I'm like, he said, I had an afro. I'm like, who the hell has an afro in 1987? <laughs> so I'm, I said, I'm going to kick this guy there. Shh, let me tell you. After the first round, I went to the corner. I'm like, somebody told me wrong. <laughs> and then and then after ended with that body shot in the fifth round, fifth or sixth round, I went back to the corner. I said, oh, I got to go to plan B. Yeah, I just started boxing him. Right. I mean, every time he got close, I would just hit him with one body shot and keep moving. Hmm. Then by round nine, I was able to hit him with two or three body shots. So now he's slowing down to round 10. He was slowing up a little bit. And then round 11, we got in the clinch. Same thing with Frank Aron. I pushed him a little bit. I saw his legs a little unsteady. I got him now. I mean, I knocked him out in the last round with 10 seconds left. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know what I mean? So, you know, uh, but the funny thing was, right before I fought him, Sugar Ray Leonard fought Marvin Hagler. That's right, 87, right. So, so Sugar Ray Leonard was doing fast combinations and getting out of, out of Dodge. So, in my mind, I said, do what Ray Leonard did. So, as you can see, like, hey, you run like 8, 9, 10. I went through fast combinations and psh, you're gone. Mm. I said, Ray Leonard did it with Hagler. You could do it with this guy. And I started doing it, and it's working. I'm like, shit, I'm going to stick with this shit, man. That's what I did, man. You never know what goes through your mind sometimes, in, you know, in the situation. Absolutely. You Absolutely. I mean? Such and, a and, such a mental game. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, people still ask me, why are you so tired, man? I'm like, look, man. Mentally, you guys have no idea what we go through. Right. You know, and to try to, you can't just shut it off. Especially if it's a big fight and you're in a war, your mind is still going. Like, after, you know, honestly, when I, after I beat Frankie won for the title, it took me about a month to come down. Mm. I was in I was in such a zone that I was still there. Right. I mean, when I got home, I was still in that, you know what I mean? Well, you box, I mean, you, you... I, I'd go... Go ahead. And I would go places, and my mind would just 
Like people were making speeches. My mind was still on Corpus Christi. <laughs> well, you boxed so well in that fight, though. I mean, it was it was the opposite of the first fight because he never seemed to to get you into the ropes and, and, and just pile drive you like he was doing and bang you. I mean, you stayed low in that fight. Was that kind of the game plan going in? I mean, it's like you got you got your leverage, yes. so he couldn't he couldn't bury you into the ropes. You stayed low and and you just use your jab beautifully in that fight. You just controlled I it. He shot it. He shot it in me. If he gets up under me, I'm a dead duck. Right. So if I stay low with him at his height, I got the reach. So if I'm low, I got the reach. I mean, and every time he got close to me, I hit a body shot. Right. Short guys are not being, they're not used to getting hit to the body. Right. So I, I hit him to the body and I heard him grunt. And I said, oh, I said to myself, oh no, bro. Your ass is mine. <laughs> and I, I love throwing body shots, man. Mm. So when he grunted, when he come in, I would get up on his jab and throw right up and cut to the body. Right under his jab every time. I wasn't trying to hit him on the chin with it because I knew he had a rock chin. I hit him right to the body with it. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah you, sir, you can't take this for 15 rounds. Right. Yeah, that's right. It was a 15-round fight. It's a 15-round fight. I, I mean, I mean, your mind said no wonder your mind was racing because, I mean, after that first fight, after going through hell like that for 10 rounds and then to have to go back there for 15 rounds, <laughs> you had to be like just <laughs> exactly. wound the fuck up mentally, man, to get ready for that. <laughs> Holy shit. But yeah, you boxed beautifully, man. That that was, I mean, that was like one of your masterpieces. That was one of your masterpieces. So, so yeah. So then, uh, you know, '88 big year for you. You uh, you made your defense first defense against uh, Howard Davis, and then got like a, a really brilliant uh, right hand on him and took him out in one round. Um, and I think that was the last fifteen round scheduled fifteen round fight, right? With the with uh, Howard yep. Davis, you you fought in you fought in the last uh, fifteen rounder, um, so it's crazy though. I mean, they did this to you twice uh, when you had the title. It's like you fight Howard Davis, and then like was it like a month later you're in there with Meldrick Taylor? <laughs> yeah, they, they did that to you with Purnell too. They got you like you know on you know just like a month after your your last fight. Was that planned to take to take those? Uh, you know what? I'm going to be honest. It was a thing called greed. <laughs> I mean, just real talk. It was greed. Um, for some reason, we couldn't uh, get Janelle Leon. You know, we offered to give Janelle Leon step aside money. He said no. I mean, uh, right. J- now, just, just so people know, Gennaro Leone in, in 1993 was your mandatory when you were the welterweight champion. So, yeah, but we offered him step aside money, and uh, he just said, he said no. Hmm. All right, I'll, call, I'll rephrase that. According to Al Soto and them, and Al said no. Mm. I mean, Janelle Leonson. I got So, you. I said, okay, now I got to freaking fight this son of a bitch. And then I got hurt. Uh, I got hurt 
right before the fight. Mm. And um, but they kept telling me it was tendonitis. Right. You know what I mean? And um, so you know, me not being a doctor, you know, I, I went on to do what I had to do. Right. 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 You know what I mean? And uh, at the end of the day, you know, everything came out. But shit, that was two layers. Like closing the barn door after the horse ran out. You know what I mean? It's like. Right. You know what I mean? But, you know, you live and learn, you know. Right. You can't cry over it. I just got to, you know, keep it moving, Kurt, you know. Absolutely. 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 I mean, after, you know, after I had the shoulder surgery, I mean, they told me it was over for me. They told me I couldn't fight anymore. Mm. And uh, I was like, okay. And the doctor said, that's it. <laughs> and I, I was determined, you know, having, the, having them tell me that, and then finding out that you got sold out mm. makes you want to prove everybody wrong. Ah, okay. So my ultimate goal was to come back to prove everybody wrong. And I came back too fast, which is okay. I, I, I came back, you know, and um, I fought. Let me see, I had a business schedule. I fought Nick Rupa in October. And I fought Jesse James Jr. in January. So hold on, let, let me let me uh, let me let me set the scene for folks. So in in '88, you you defended against Davis, then then you lost the title to Meldrick. '89 and '90, you you fought like a ton of guys. You fought on TV. You know, speaking of injuries, you ripped your bicep in in, in the Bermudez fight in '90. Had to recover from that. Um, the Frank Montgomery fight in '91. Did you get injured in that fight too, or no? Okay. That was my my like, second or third fight back. Right, 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 right. Um, it was my second fight back after the bicep Right, right. Um, and then and then you beat in an upset. I think you were a ten to one underdog against Simon Brown. Yeah, uh, fought him in Vegas. Uh, you had what a strep throat? I heard. Couple weeks before the fight, <laughs> I, look, I had to go to the doctor and get a shot in the ass and stay in the bed for four days. Huh. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. But you, fought- I was a fanatic about my weight. I was a fanatic about my weight. You know, mm-hmm. I always worried about my weight. <clears throat> so Al said, "You can't do nothing." Doc, doc said, "You can't do nothing." I said, "Okay." But I was just going to the bathroom and turn the shower on the shadow box. <laughs> I, mean, I put Abilene on and shot a box in the bathroom. Woke up a sweat and take a shower and get back in the bed. No one knew what the hell I was doing. <laughs> and they're like, you didn't put on no weight. I'm like, no, I didn't. I was, I was like, yo, buddy, man, you know. Because I was always just, I used to always worry about my weight. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the 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 Simon Brown fight, though, I mean that 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 was that might be your masterpiece because I mean Brown, big favorite, a guy who had unified the titles. Um, I think he, he ended up like letting one go before he fought you, but definitely the best welterweight in the world at at the time when there were some really great welterweights. And uh, and man, it's the thing that always impressed me about that fight. You just read him like a book. It seemed like like you 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 had radar of that fight. I mean, he just couldn't you know. He couldn't hit you with the with the big shots, especially that hook that uh, that he seemed to catch everybody else with. Um, so, how'd you prepare for Simon Brown? 
I was in Florida, tra- I trained in Florida. I had one small partner, his name was Glenn Montague. I boxed with him, and uh, for three, four weeks. And then when we got to Vegas, we had Jeff Mayweather and Skipper Kelp. Oh, wow, Skipper Kelp, okay. You know what I mean? And uh, funny thing, when I was training there, Eddie Fletch was training Mike McCollum for the first James Tony fight. Oh, wow. So one day, Eddie got there early and watched me spar. I mean, and when I sat down, he said, you know, kid, I like the way you work. Hmm. He said, do you mind if I come here some days then you spar early? I said, Mr. Fletch, you're being honored to have you Right. He said, I won't say anything. He said, I just like watching you the way you work. I used to come sometime twice, maybe three times. We could just sit there and watch me. And then he walked by and tapped me on the shoulder and said, good work, young man. Mm. You know what I mean? So, you know, that you know that, that meant a lot, a lot to me at that point in time. But, you know, I knew that Simon Brown, after the sixth round, he, puts, he likes to put his foot on the gas. Mm. So I says, when he puts his foot on the gas, I got to stomp the gas. <laughs> and that's what I did basically when he turned it up I would turn up two notches he go one I go two he went three I go four mm. I mean that's that's how that's how I did it to be honest with you now you fought a brilliant fight yeah. man you fought an amazing fight um it's crazy you know it's funny I was in Vegas at that time but because you know shit this was 1991 there was no internet or anything I didn't know you were fighting out there I definitely would have gone to that fight but I'm I'm in the airport, and I'm you know heading back to New York, and you know I'm I'm waiting in the lobby for the, for the plane, and I see all these people with Buddy McGirt jackets on, and I'm just like, oh shit, Buddy McGirt fought Simon Brown. So I'm like, who won the fight? And you know it might have been your mom or one of your family members, but they're just like, who won the fight? They're like, Simon Brown hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit, all right, you know, buddy one. That's awesome. That's awesome. But it's funny on on the business end of this. Now you were you were the mandatory for Simon Brown, right? No. Yes. You, you were like, I'm the, I'm the mandatory for the IBF. Right, right, right. Right. But you still had right. I mean, you still had to give up options to King, right? You had to give up four options to King no. to get the shot. What's that? Yes, 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 I did. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. So I mean, I, but he did, he didn't use them. He didn't use them. Right, right, right. But it's funny. It's like this is he had options. He had options, but we had to okay them or not. We had to, you know, the option to okay them, but we gave him the option for. Anthony B. Simon he offered me. What is the Mexican guy's name? Man, um, shit. They had like a hundred freaking pro fights. Not Chavez. Strong Mexican. No, the strong Mexican. He was big. Uh, Campos? Man, Campos? Yuri Campos? Yes. Okay. You for you, but Campos for a hundred thousand. Hmm. My man said, are you crazy? <laughs> it's a lot of fights that killed for a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you'd be amazing. I was like, man, I was like, hey, you out of your freaking mind. The guy's a killer. 
<laughs> oh man, so uh, so we did, we know we did, we did, you know, it, it didn't come nothing else after that. I got you. It's funny because this is this was pre the Muhammad Ali Act, and that was one of the things. People say the yeah. Ali Act didn't accomplish anything, but the, that's one thing that doesn't happen anymore. When you're mandatory, you know, guys can't take options on you. But um, you, uh, yeah, you. So you won that fight. So, um, well, you won. You won in. Uh, let's see. You fought Brown in November of '91. Um, now, Meldrick Taylor. Had beaten uh, Aaron Davis in in, in January '91, so he was one of the other champs. Was there any talk of a rematch with you and Meldrick? Yes, the rematch was on the table. Mm. I fucked it up. Mm. It offered me one point eight million. Holy shit! Wow, this is nine. This is like nineteen ninety two dollars. <laughs> it's a lot of yeah, money. That's an hour. That's an hour. Take the fight. But there's, you, we can get we can get two million. That's out. Who gives a fuck? They're offering one point eight. They go, well, what are they gonna do with the other two hundred thousand? I said, who gives a shit? But they do another two hundred thousand. Ah, it sucks. I said, take the fight. He's like, okay, okay. And then I put up the paper the next day. He turned it down. Ugh, ugh. So I, I go fight in here in Italy. I go fight in Italy for. One hundred fifty thousand. Mm. Oh, against uh, was it Patrizio Oliva? Yeah, yeah. Uh so hold up. Um, now the King offered you um Terry Norris around that time. I remember reading something about you fighting Terry Norris around that. No, time. no, junior uh, middleweight champ. They was talking about me fighting Terry Norris, but Terry Norris was getting ready to fight Ray Leonard. Ah. And when I was coming back from my surgery. Ah, okay, 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 okay. Well, I said, shit, I'm not no damn during the middle way. Right, right. Yeah, Norris was a bad man. Norris was a bad man. Okay, so now now we get to 93 after you beat uh, beat the kid in Italy. Um, So in 93, you had the fight with uh, Gennaro Leone, and and you said you... uh, yeah, I remember reading about that. I remember there was something wrong with your your left shoulder. Kind of no one knew what it was, but in fact, it, it ended up being it wasn't tendonitis. It ended up being a rotator cuff, right? Yes. So, yeah, crazy thing about that too. Even with one arm, like I had, I had Sweet Pea beating you seven five, but that easily could have been scored a draw too. I mean, that fight was close. It was a really good fight. I mean, is it? Right. It's got to got to be a source of frustration for you, thinking you know you could have beaten Pernell Whitaker if you'd had two healthy hands. Oh man, forget about it. When I watch, I can't watch the tape of the fight because I get inside and I see you know, like I hit him with a right uppercut, mm. but I couldn't throw the left hook to save my life. Right, right, right. It just it wasn't there. I mean, it was frustrating. I'm like, I can get this motherfucker, man. I can't throw my, Like, I tried to throw my hook against Leon, and it was like a slow motion. Mm. Mm. So I knew I couldn't do that with Pernell. He was too smart. Right. I mean, I knew I couldn't do it, so I had to, you know, you forgot for Janelle Leon with the torn rotator, I mean, with the, yeah, with the torn rotator cuff. Then I go home for a week, and I go back to training camp. I'm training the whole time. They're telling me it's tendonitis. They have me doing rehab. This whole time I'm doing this shit with a torn rotator cuff. Mm, mm, 
mm. training every day, and then to have the weighing at 10 o'clock at night. The weigh-in was at 10 o'clock the at night? night. <laughs> 10 o'clock at night the night before. That's crazy. Why did they do it so late? So now, I, I, I have no clue. Mm. So now we're in the limo going to Manhattan. And I will never forget this day as long as I live. We get up to the Lincoln Tunnel. And Al sort of looks at me and says, if they want to pull out, you can. Mm. I said, Al, you're saying this so you can have a play conscience. <laughs> he goes, what are you talking about? I said, the fight is tomorrow. Right. You know, God damn well, I'm not going to pull out. Not now. Right. That's what I said it three weeks ago. You had a fit. Right. Oof. I said, you're standing out and clear your conscience. You know what I mean? Mm. So, you know, then it just kind of, I was really turned off after that. I was pissed. I was like, this motherfucker knows my shit is fucked up. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, after the fight, the truth came out. Mm. Mm. I mean, after the fight, the truth came out, and, you know, I had a lawsuit. And I had the lawsuit pretty much wrapped up until Al had to go give his deposition. At the deposition, he buried me, he went against me. Wow. Were you guys still yeah. on, you guys were still on good terms, I would assume, at that point. Like, you had no idea he was going to do at, that. Uh, up until that point, after he did it, I had nothing else to say to him. Right, right. You know what I mean? I'm like, how can you do that, man? That's crazy. You know I mean? That's yeah. crazy, because you know what? Like, I think earlier in that year, too, I mean, you had to testify in front of the Senate, Right. The the Senate uh, yeah. investigated organized crime and boxing. You got called in front of the Senate organized for, about organized crime, and that was over you know alleged uh, ties that that Al and uh, Stewart had. Uh, no, nah, this you know, Stewart. It was Stewart. It wasn't Al. It wasn't Al. Yeah, yeah right. Stewie it wasn't Al. Jewish, right. Stewie had the Jewish last name. Right. So ooh, if you if you if you Fred, you're going to for the guy with the Italian name. Right. Not a guy named Stuart Wiener. You gotta look for a lawyer. Right, <laughs> right. But it was really Stuart. You know what I mean? Yeah, because at at the hearings he pleaded the fifth. Right when they asked him about his mob yeah. ties. <laughs> but Serto went funny off. Thing is this. Here's a, here's a, the answer to the truth is this: the mob never asked me for nothing. Right. right. They was protecting Stuart from another family. See, another family tried to strong, strong arm Stewie and get him out of, out of the way so they could take over my career. Hmm. So Stewie turned to them, his boys in, in New York to keep these guys off of him. So whatever money Stewie gave them, that's on Stewie, not on me. Right. Yeah, I mean, if it came out of anybody's pocket, came out of Stewie's pocket. They come out of my pocket. But he did tell me what he had to do. Hmm. 
He drove to Long Island at 1 o'clock in the morning. I had to meet him in the diner. And he says, buddy, you know, this is the only way I can be a part of your career. I got to protect myself. He said, if not, I got to leave. I can't manage you anymore. Mm. He says, because they're going to kill me. Wow. Wow. That's the story. Do what the fuck you got to do, man. Mm. He goes, but it's not going to cost you anything, I promise. That's a story. Do what you got to do. Right. And he did. But, you know, he didn't have to come to me and tell me, but he did. Mm. You know, the story came to me and told me. I'm telling you, he drove up to Long Island at 1 o'clock in the morning, called me, and I said, I'm at a diner. So I went and met him. And Stuart was like my father, man. Mm. Now, I met Stuart right after my father died. Mm. So, you know, he told me I had a fucking order off. I've never been into a fancy restaurant. At that point in my life, I was 18. But the only fancy restaurant I went to was Sizzler Steak at that time. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've never been into a fancy restaurant. You know, it was the first restaurant he took me to. What's that? Fucking Peter Lucas. Wow. Wow. I had on fucking jeans and a, a Dow Sassoon t-shirt. <laughs> and the major D says, he can't get in there like that. Mm. Mm. Stewie took off 50 bucks, put it in his hand, and the guy said, table for two. <laughs> wow. So I'm gonna, like what I said, all dirt and all that shit, I'm like a story. I'm not illiterate. You know what I mean? I mean, I can, I can read and I've been to school and I'm an honor roll student. I said, well, what the fuck is this shit on the side of the menu? <laughs> you know what I mean? And he told me. that he told me how to order off the fucking menu. Mm. You know, a la carte and all that shit. I was like, what the fuck is all this? Brother, he said, this the music on the scissors thing. Point out what the fuck I want. That's it. <laughs> he told me how to tip. Mm. And he told me how to tip. You know what I mean? And he bought me my first tailor-made suit. Wow. And he looked, you know, he was like my my dad, man. He looked out for me. Mm. I mean, he always looked out for me. I mean, when I didn't have it, Stu was always there for me. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, Stu was my man. You know, when I was coming up, and I needed to go to the loan shark, Stu would take the look out for me. Mm. He'd get the money, he'd pay the fucking chumps on the money for me. Mm. Mm. I mean, I love the man. You know, he's like my my dad, man. You know, and and, and you know, I, I'll never ever forget him because he's always had my back. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, you know, you you weren't some guy who got a title shot because you were all mobbed up. I mean, shit, it took you thirty eight fights, man. I mean, if the mob, <laughs> that's, 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 if that's the mob, that's the gang that couldn't shoot straight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But see, but all the but see, the funny thing is, all they were doing was protecting Stewie. Right. And Stewie's life was in danger, so mm. they was protecting Stewie. That's it. Mm. Mm. Oh, man, I ain't going all day about that shit, man. <laughs> well, that's the thing I was gonna say. I mean, you know, the after after the after the uh, after you lost the title of Whitaker, you won. Like you know, you you came back from the injury, came back too soon. Uh, but still, you kind of willed yourself to the to the rematch with Purnell. But seemed like you know 
after the you dropped him in the second round, but after you know by about the fifth round, you just seemed kind of listless in that fight, like you just weren't in it. Kurt, uh, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it to you straight. When I beat Pat Coleman, they told me I was fighting for now. I started crying. Mm. So my wife was like, "What's wrong?" I said, "I don't want to fight anymore." She's like, what? I said, I did what they said I couldn't do. They said I couldn't come back. They went against me. My, my manager, they knew I was hurt, but they still put me in the fight. I came back. Mm. So my desire is gone. Mm. So she said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I really don't want to fight no more. I said, but now that I got three much, I got to take it. So she's like, no, you don't, but you can just come home and say, fuck it. And I, when I went home, I was ready to call out and be like, yeah, that's it. Mm. You know what I mean? But right. then I'm like, I'm like, they went out for me, you know, like 400000 I'm like, well, I'm not going to turn that down. I'm not hmm. just playing for 20000 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but... Through training camp and all that, I just went through the motions, man. I, I mm. just didn't. Because <laughs> every time I looked at them, <clears throat> every time I looked at Al, I felt betrayal. Mm. Mm. Oh, man. That's got to be rough. That's got to be demoralizing. Yeah, so it was hard, man. It's like, you know, you lied to me, man. You knew I was injured, but yeah, you still sent me out there. Right. Hmm. That's, that's deep. So every time I saw him, it was just, you know, just used to, used to irk me, man. I used to be like, I, I got to get away from this guy. Mm. Wow. Wow. You know I mean, and I, um, you know, so it was tough, man. But, you know, I did what I had to do. I made it through the training camp. And I said, I'm going to go out early and try to get him out. And if I don't after that, then uh, yeah, it's going to be a long night. Right, right. Well, you did drop him. It was a nice, nice right hand, but uh, Purnell didn't stay down. Right. No, no. When he got up, I said, well, here comes a long night. <laughs> I was dead after that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just pretty much, uh, you know, you stayed in that, in the mm -hmm. shell, in the crouch, uh, you know, pretty much mm -hmm. the rest of the night. It's crazy. But, mm -hmm. but 94. So, yeah, after that, I don't have the desire to fight anymore. Yeah, I see, you know, 94 must have been, you know, besides a Whitaker fight, you know, definitely uh, one of the highlights of your career. You appeared in uh, Max Kellerman's rap video for uh, Rumble, Young Man, Rumble. So yeah. <laughs> After yeah, that, it was man, all downhill, funny. man. <laughs> yeah. You're right. <laughs> well, hold up. I got to ask yeah, you about man. it. At least what, one more thing that I found uh, when I was digging around uh, that I thought was interesting. In 95, I mean, I remember when you fought Buck Smith when coming back, and I mean, you just schooled Buck Smith, but did, were you supposed to fight Duran, Roberto Duran, in June of 95? Uh, yeah. Crazy. How I told him, I said, I said, you guys crazy. I, said, I just saw him fight. I was at the Hall of Fame. He fought somebody and knocked him out. I said, I'm not fighting that motherfucker, man. <laughs> that motherfucker still fight, man. <laughs> My desire then was not, was gone. I'm right. up to middleweight. 
Right. Right. I just fought Joe Gaddy at middleweight. Hmm. I mean. Right. And I had to lose a pound at the weigh-in. I was a pound overweight at the weigh-in. Mm. Mm. So you were just kind of so, ma- you know, mailing it in at that point. You're just going for the paydays. Although you yeah. only you only lost two more times, right? You lost to Andrew Council and then yeah. uh, and your former sparring partner uh, Darren yeah. Machinsky. Yeah. So ninety. 90- I have no, des- no, des- no desire for that. Right, right. I, I think I remember you telling me about uh, you were in Colorado training for a fight after the Machinsky fight and. You know, you yeah. you went out for a run and and you just was like, you know what, fuck this shit, I'm done. <laughs> Pretty much, man. Uh, so '97, so yeah, you fought uh, Machinsky in January '97, and then uh, so you know you get the long flight home from Colorado, trying to figure out. Now, actually, this this is interesting. I want to you know because I, I someone had a. Uh, Ask me, like, you know, if I could, you know, do something about fighters, uh, you know, after they retire and, you know, how they should handle things. But, uh, um, yeah, tell tell them about your, your, the flight home from Colorado once you decided to, to pack it in. It was the longest flight of my life. <laughs> because I had bills that were mounting up. I had to turn the revenue up my ass. And no money coming in. I had a few bucks saved, but I said, how long is this going to last? You know what I mean? I had a house, car payments, child support. Mm. I mean, I had a lot of shit on my plate. And it's like, okay, buddy, what the fuck you going to do? You know what I mean? Right. What are you going to do? I mean, uh, to make any money, the IRS is going to be up the ass. So, going to the radar, and then, but you, but you got to stay there. Right. right. And uh, it was tough, man. You know, I got to say, it was a tough time in my life, to be honest with you. But I got smart in the sense that I lowered a lot of my expenses. Like, I had a motorcycle, right? So, I sold three of my cars. One got repossessed. Mm. I, sold the, I sold the other three. And I bought my wife a new car. I said, I got a car for you and the kids. I bought an SUV. Mm. So, she said, well, how the fuck are you going to get around? I said, on my motorcycle. She said, you fucking crazy? I'm like, what you want me to do? <laughs> she said, take me to work. I said, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to take me to work. I'm going to go out to Jersey or wherever, uh, New York, wherever I got to find work and come back. I don't have time for that. Just let me take my motorcycle. I'll be fine. She told about me every night. You know I mean? So then um, my man, the great Murad Muhammad, Dear friend of mine, love Dylan. Called me up, he said, Champion. He goes, You wanna make five grand? I said, Well I got him, right? He said, Can you get to Atlantic City? I said, Wait. He said, Tonight. I said, I'll be there. 
So I gave five grand cash. Said I'll be there. I got the phone. My wife says, "How you gonna get the man?" I said, "I says I'm a motorcycle." She goes, "Are you fucking nuts?" I said, "What's your cost on gas?" She says, "But you have a bad battery. How the fuck are you gonna get there?" I bought a pair of jumper cables, Kurt, and tied them around my neck. Got my motorcycle. <laughs> Went to <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I got stuck once on the way back. Mm. <laughs> but the guy pushed me and I popped the clutch. And... Damn. But I gotta honestly tell you, that was the longest ride of my life. Mm. The motorcycle, the sticker was good. But the motorcycle had no insurance. And I had no fucking motorcycle license. Holy shit. Wow. But I still have my HBO Watson jacket. Hmm. So the cops will fuck them. Mm. And I got to Atlantic City and uh, I went and parked the motorcycle that I went in and uh, asked the people to keep down my jumper cables. And they said, no problem. And uh, I went to the fights, went to the fights in the yard. Gave me five grand, and uh, yeah, I, I had a room there. Mm. And I said, "Buddy, you got, I said you got to get home, man." I went, gave it on my neck again, HBO boxing jacket, got up my motorcycle, back to Long Island. Holy shit! Wow. So. Yeah. I was talking to Brian Adams, and he swears that he was the very first fighter that you started training when you started training fighters. Is that true? No. But <laughs> I let him believe that. I let him believe that. <laughs> I let him believe that. Who was the first fighter you started training? Because you started training in 97. I really don't want to know the truth. I was training before 97. I was training in the 80s when I was fighting. No shit. Wow. Okay. Well, I was training amateurs. Hmm. Hmm. When I had time off, I would train amateurs in Long Island. Hmm. Because I started boxing January 17th. And January 18th, I wanted to be a trainer. <laughs> I wanted That's... to be a trainer after I started boxing. That's wild. The very next day, I wanted to be a trainer. Because I love I loved the aspect of outsmarting another man. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love I love that. It's a challenge and I love it. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. And uh, you know, people say, man, you create a, I love it. I love it. Especially if you get a fighter that listens to you and execute the way you want them. It's the greatest feeling in the world. To me. Right. Right. It's the greatest feeling in the world. You know what I mean? Because, you know, like I say, one thing my mom always was strict on us about was education. Mm. You, had to, you had to get good grades. If not, you couldn't play no sports. You couldn't do nothing. Mm. So believe it or not, I was an honorary student and, and, and from junior high all the way through high school. I believe that. I believe that. Absolutely. Well, I, was supposed to, I was supposed to go to college. Mm. I mean, and my father's... Uh, 
Like, and my father's uh, social security would have paid for me to go to school. My father was dead, but the social security that he had was going to pay would have paid for me to go to school. And I just had to maintain a certain average. And my English teacher had it set up for me. And then my girlfriend told me she was pregnant, and I turned pro. Excuse me. I told my uh, told my mom I couldn't go to college. She she went through the fucking roof. Mm, mm, mm. Well, you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> like, no, I can't. You know what I mean? I said, you know, I want to box professional. But I didn't tell her my girlfriend was pregnant. My girlfriend told me. Mm. But I was scared. Right. So my son's mother told me. But then we wound up breaking up anyway, so. <laughs> but, you know, so I've always loved putting my brain to work when. I mean, when something's challenging, I've always loved it. Mentally. It was challenging mentally. Absolutely. You know Absolutely. Absolutely. Keeps me on my toes. <laughs> well, I met you. That's that's probably when I met you was 97, kind of later in the year with the fighter, my, the first fighter, well, actually probably the second fighter I managed, uh, LeVan Easley, if you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear from a minute? You know what? Every once in a while, I'll see him at the fights. And, and you know, because LeVan will say, hey, that was my old manager. <laughs> he, he don't live in Florida no more? I thought he moved to Florida. He may have moved to Florida, yeah. I mean, this, the last time I saw him was a, a few years ago, man. A few years ago, I saw him at uh, one of Lou DiBella's fights. Yeah, the um, talent he had was unbelievable, man. Big, strong kid. Yeah, absolutely. He, just, he, just was, a, he was a fucking nutcase, man. <laughs> He's a fucking nutcase. I mean, I had him in page with James Camp. Camp with James Page is kicking James Page ass. Wow. Wow. And then they could just get an argument with everybody in the fucking building one day. <laughs> Dude, I remember I remember when you guys got into an argument. I remember being in the room and he started going off. I was like, oh, shit. You got to be kidding me, man. I was just like, at that point. He wanted to be a gangster. Right. Right. <laughs> he wanted to be a gangster so bad. I'm like, yo, look at check this out. Either you are or you aren't. Right. I said, you get ready to have a baby. So if you in jail, who's going to take care of your baby? The next man. Right. Right. So fuck that gangster shit. <laughs> you want to hang out with this guy because he's a gangster. That's fuck that, man. They want to have one or two places, dead or in jail. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So. I said, be smart, man. Don't, don't be a fucking idiot, man. <laughs> I mean, don't be an idiot. Absolutely. You know I mean, so. Well, hey. You know, I mean, uh. I was going to say, uh, you know, I, I, I probably, I mean, I, I could talk to you all day, buddy, but, uh, you know, I want to wrap this up a little bit. I mean, I wanted to get into to Gaddy and, and, and the time we okay. had it. In, in Indonesia with Smoke Gainer. But, yeah, with well, Gaddy, it's funny because, again, you know, I had Teron Millet at the time. And, uh, you know, when we signed to, for the Gaddy fight, I was psyched because Gaddy just gotten beat up by De La Hoya, and I thought we were catching Gaddy at the right time. And, you know, I think the betting odds on that fight were pretty even. And then when I found out you were training him, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. I, you know, buddies, you know, learned and forgotten more about boxing than, than our side will ever know. So, shit. And, yeah, Arturo gave uh, 
Toronto pretty good beating that night. But but you had, a, I mean, with Gaddy, you had a great ride, man. And, and you know, 2002 was a great year for you. Your trainer of the year, boxing writer yeah. trainer of the year. I mean, you, you not only had uh, the Millette fight, you had the two Ward fights. You had, uh, uh, you got Antonio Tarver to beat Eric Harding in a rematch in 2002. Big year for you. Big year for you. Now, you worked for King, though. You were working for King around that time, right? As well? I worked for King before that. Before that. Before that. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Because that was like about 1999 to 2001 or something, right? You you were working with King? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. It's funny because... Uh, then I left. I remember, uh, I remember King doing a, a press conference about having a fight in China. Tell, tell, tell the people what, uh, what King said to you about taking you to China. I can't remember, man. I don't remember to be honest with you. <laughs> you see, you told me that King King told you that you know, buddy, you know, we're gonna promote this fight in China. You know, and I, I'd love to take you there, but uh, you know, they're they're trying to control the population over there, so I don't know if I can get <laughs> you, you in. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you come up with sort of shit like that. <laughs> oh man, but how was working with Arturo, man? It was great, you know. We had a lot of fun. But after the um after the Mayweather fight he was never the same. Mm. Right. I mean, he was never the same after that. That was a was a bridge too far, man. Bridge too far. Just yeah. Too sharp too sharp for him. So yeah, shit, man. You you've worked with so many great fighters over the years. I mean, you know, there's Arturo and and Tarver and Johnny Tapia, James Page, Byron Mitchell, who else? Vernon Forrest, uh, Layla Ali, Fernando Vargas, Layman Brewster, <laughs> Thomas Adamek, Joel Casamayor. Yeah. Dude, it's like an all star team you got. You know. Um, it's crazy though the, the the most fun I ever I ever saw, like uh, with you in a corner though was with Vernon you and Al Mitchell, it was it was like you guys had remote control on Vernon because Vernon's in the ring you're like, throw the right hand boom here comes the right hand straighten it out boom it's straight. <laughs> I was working with Vernon. You know what? Let me tell you the world never saw his real talent. He never really exposed all his talent because he didn't have to. But if he, if he ever had to, whoever he'd have fought and experienced it, he'd have been like, what the hell? <laughs> the man was unbelievable, man. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I used to have an old man, no lie, used to come to the gym in Vero Beach just to watch him shadow box. Mm. Mm. So man was just, you know, he'll be shadow boxing, he'll do a move. I said, I said, okay, Viper, do that again. What did I just do? Mm. Man was this. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, man, him and Tarver were unbelievable. Right, right. And, 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 this kid Johnny Beck is the next one. Yeah, he's a sharp kid. And I got a kid, and I, and I got a kid named Adam Lopez. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him fight. He's he's another sharp kid. 
Absolutely sharp yeah, I'm kid. <laughs> I mean, so, you know what I mean? Cool. But shit, man, but uh, I got it, you know, working on tour was fun. You know, talking was fun. Working on all of them was fun, man. I, I got to honestly say. Absolutely. Even Layla. I had a great time with Layla. <laughs> Yeah, it's a shame. Right. Lay- Layla came around a little too early. If she came around now, she could really make a... I mean, I'm sure she did fine, but she could make a ton of mon- ton more money now. Man, she's making a ton now doing what she's doing. Yeah, that's true. That's what... Oh, man, I, I love Layla. Layla's so sharp, man. She's definitely very together. Yeah. She's very together. She got, she got cookbooks, cooking shows, a <laughs> whole makeup line. She's doing her thing. I see her every now and then out here in California. Right. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so. Hey, listen, uh, I got a couple more for you, and then, and then I'll let you go. But, you know, I read uh, I read something that kind of made me sad, really sad, actually. I was reading about Chris Bird. Um, Chris not doing so well these days. He's got a lot of injuries and a ton of aches and pains. And and uh, they said, you know, he's, like, in pain every day. He's got, like, you know, Chris Bird was, like, clean, clean-living guy, Christian guy. And, like, he's saying now he's got to, like, smoke you know, marijuana all day just to just to deal with all the pain. And I was just wondering, I mean, dude, you, you had a shit ton of injuries in your career. You had a torn bicep, torn rotator cuff. You know, your hands got chewed up. You know, you got a filling knocked loose against Frankie Warren. I mean, how how are you doing? I mean, you, you went through, you know, 80, 80 pro fights and a ton of amateur fights. I mean, physically, how, how well, are you these days? I, I, think, I think, God, that physically, you know, like, I'm great. Mm. I mean, the uh, only thing that happened to me was uh, I had to have a pacemaker put in a year ago. Oh, wow. No, I'm sorry. Two months ago. Two months. Okay. Okay. Because I had, um, <clears throat> well, as of 2000, I got, thi- I got diagnosed with hyperthyroidism. Ah. Okay. Hyper. And my thyroid, remember like when you met me, I was real skinny? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My thyroid was working overtime. Mm. Faster than normal. Mm. That's why I couldn't put any weight on. Mm. Then I got AFib. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. AFib is when you regular heartbeat, your heartbeat's really fast. Right, right, right. So faster than normal. So, uh, the AFib started getting out of control. They couldn't control it. Know what I mean? So I had congestive heart failure. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they had to put the pacemaker in and put me on medication to control the AFib. I mean, because there was, you know, without the pacemaker, my AFib would be so high. I wouldn't know it, and I could have had a fucking heart attack at any time. Right, right. Put you in danger. Wow. Okay. Yeah, like, you know, my shit was going to like 222, 40 beats a minute. Mm. So, when I got the pacemaker put in, the first, uh, about three days after I got it put in, you know, that motherfucker shocked me. Let me tell you something, man. I, I felt like someone kicked me in the ass. Mm. <laughs> But I thank God now, you know. So I thought it was because I, cause I was doing this in the gym. So it went off, and then I was like, fuck. And then a couple weeks later, I was at my daughter's 316, just sitting down talking. 
boom, I got shocked again. Ooh, wow. What the fuck? Mm. Mm. So I went to I went to the uh you know, every time it goes off, you gotta go to the hospital. Right. Then they call the people in and they check it. So the guy says, It's not your activity. It's just a freaking AFib. He goes, Your AFib is out of control. Mm. We have to monitor your AFib. So thank God that they, they, they got, you know, they got new medicine that has the AFib under control. You know what I mean? But the only bad thing about this medicine is if I catch a cold, I can't take any cough medicine. Oh, wow. I got to call the doctor. Mm. Mm, mm. And they have to see what medicine will, will go with this heart medicine. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, which is okay. Which is okay because, I mean, um, I mean, basically, it's just, you know, I feel great now. I mean, I have, you know, when when I first had the, uh, like, a pacemaker put in, you know, they told me to take it easy for, like, three or four weeks. So I was in the gym, but I couldn't do nothing with the fighters. Right, right. And I was a, I fucking blew up to 250 pounds. Mm, mm, mm. Which isn't good I for mean, your heart <laughs> at all. <laughs> exactly. So, right. you know, now I got 15 pounds. Hey, let me tell you, I got 15 pounds off. I feel great. They got my freaking heart right under control. Mm. I'm good. So everything's normal. They said, look, buddy, the pacemaker, it's good. They said, it's good to have it and not need it. It's a need of not having. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. If the AFib goes crazy, it will shock and let you know. If this medicine don't work, it will shock you. It will mm. shock you how to get it back to normal rhythm. Mm. But thank God this medicine has got it under control. Well, that's good. So now I can live normal now. Well, that's good but to hear, man. Bird, the stuff that Chris Bird's going through, I heard that, you know, I heard the same thing you did. Lame and said, buddy, man, he's, he's in bad shape. Right. It's just from those heavyweights hitting on him, man. Yeah, so it's a, that's what it sounded like. And he also, you know, Chris being Chris, I mean, he's he's, you know, more than boxing. I mean, he loved to play basketball, play football, and run and all. He's still trying to do that stuff at, like, you know, 40 and he like blew out his hips. He blew out his knees. So I think that that's probably where most of the pain's coming from too. So, so hey man, I'll, I'll let you go, buddy. I'll let you go. But man, it was great, great All talking right, to you again. And you know, you're one of the few uh, Hall of Fame level champions who had an equally great career as a trainer. You know, as you did as a fighter. And thrilled that you got uh, into the Hall of Fame, man. I want to congratulate you again, and really appreciate you taking the time Thank to you. chop it up with me, man. No problem. My pleasure, babe. All right, my man. Take care. All right, Kurt. Take care, man. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring. I'd like to thank uh, James Buddy McGirt for taking the time out to speak with me. It's always a pleasure to talk to Buddy. Um, If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes. Um, Stitcher, Audio Boom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. And also visit uh, ringtv.com to uh, check out the accompanying piece that I usually do with the podcast. Uh, give you excerpts from the interview and a little background. Uh, I really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And 
Until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>